if you were able to pick someone to act as host of your funeral or memorial service, who would it be? And I'm talking about a, a historical enter- figure from entertainment, not, you know, your uncle, Uncle Eddie or whatever, who was, a, oh. who was good in a, with a crowd. Well, my Uncle Lou, both Uncle Lou's I had would have been good for that. Um, now, I have to pick a host, huh? Do I have to handle the catering for this too, or no, someone no. else? Just somebody, do this? somebody who you know could get up there, crack a joke, bring people up. A host, right? Okay. It's a very um, specific talent. No, I think. I, I um, three people come to mind. The first one would be Dick Cavett. Your friend, who, your, your my friend, friend who and he and actually I think he kind of liked me, so he might, yeah, he might there might be a chance he would actually do this. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to borrow a page from Mickey Mantle's funeral. Um, apparently, there, Costas and Billy Crystal the night before sat down together and wrote out a eulogy, and they were kind of looking at each other. Okay, who gets to do it? Mm-hmm. And I think Crystal, Crystal deferred to Bob Costas because he thought he just added, a, he was such a great host. And I think I'm going to go with Costas too. He's just so good on his feet. He's very likable. I think he would add both the great hosting element, great anecdotes. And again, I think if he knew me, he would like me. And I think he would agree to do this. Maybe, and then we can bring... Maybe Crystal on to do a few minutes. And, um, okay, well, let's not get Maybe carried. Martin Short, but, you know. Let's not get carried away. Yeah. No, no, Bob Costas. Pick one person, it. yeah. This relates, as they, these things always do, to our, our guest uh, star yes. this week. I went with Larry King uh, for two reasons. Right. One is that I think it would be great to take calls, <laughs> and nobody was better at going to the phones than Larry. That's true. You know, Helversome Holland. Hello. <laughs> um, it, we, so, by the way, people should watch. And, I know and you I, would get calls from all over. I would, You would yes. get global Europe, calls. Yeah. Yes. I, I, we should commend to people. I know I've, I've showed you this before, but uh, Kevin Pollack, I don't know if he still does it, but he had a show called oh, the yeah. Kevin Pollack Chat Show. It was a podcast, but he also recorded it and put it on yeah. YouTube. And at the end of every episode, he had, I mean, there must be two three four hundred episodes of it it's usually comedians or actors and at the end of every show he does he makes them play what he calls the larry king game which is where um they they have to share in their larry king impersonation voice they have to share some inappropriate piece of information about themselves or about larry uh, you know, some sexual liaison that he had as a young man or something. And then, and then go to the, go to the phones and it has to be a, a funny name place that you, you know, one of the kind of names that he got famous, like yeah. Hilversum Holland or, you know, Waukegan, yeah. Wisconsin yeah. or whatever. King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. King of Prussia. Hello. You're on with the pontiff. Yeah. Um, and it's, I commend people to watch those. They're hilarious. There's one. They were very. I remember you told there's me. There's one was Dana hysterical. Carvey does that, that was hysterical. Um, so I would, I would, I would pick him because I think it'd be cool to take phone calls at my memorial service, and he's great at going to the phones. And also, if I pick a late career Larry King, it would mean that even though I would be the one in the casket, I'm guaranteed to only be the second most cadaverous person in the room. <laughs> 
You've given this far too much thought, <laughs> I think. So those are that's my thinking with choosing a Larry King. But our guest star this week is one of these people, uh, although different than Larry King. Uh, he's just sort of a an all rounder, a guy who could do a little bit of everything and was good at hosting, which is a very specific talent, very difficult thing to mm-hmm. do, and a very specific talent. And uh, we'll talk more about that when we come back. Oh, just, just learning from a pro like you, working side by side with one of the great... You even learned how to cue the big musical finish to the comedy spot. You did? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Oh, we ain't got a barrel of money. Maybe we're ragged and garbage, but we travel along singing a song. Thank you, Mr. Forsyth. It's my pleasure, Mr. Bear. Hey! We're traveling along, singing a song, side by side. So far, we haven't had the opportunity to do this side by side, so the phone will have to do for now. Uh, welcome to 120 Over 80, and why do we always come here? We're two grown men, myself and my friend Doug Lippman, talk about The Muppet Show, one episode at the time, at a time, excuse me. We have an email address, 120 over 80, the number 120 over 80 spelled out at gmail.com. We got an email from our biggest fan, my mother-in-law. Uh, this was a while back. I missed it because last time I, I forgot to check the email. She says, after watching the Harvey Corman episode of The Muppet Show, I was really looking forward to hearing your podcast. To tell you the truth, I was actually a little concerned about what's happening to my sense of humor, so I was glad to hear that you both felt about the same way I did about the show. I guess I was anticipating much funnier, a much funnier show. Although I don't specifically remember these last few episodes we've watched, my memory is that in general, The Muppet Show is much funnier than they were. Maybe getting older and current events have dampened my sense of humor. I hope not. Wow, she's um, on the same wavelength. She's with us. on the same exactly page. Exactly what us. we've been doing. That yeah, we're talking yeah, about. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it's it's the first season of the you know. Yeah. of a show they're getting their feet under them and yeah. um and it's to be expected i guess um oh, yeah, hopefully... yeah they, they're sh- it's a shakedown yeah cruise and, right yeah, exactly. so hopefully by the end of the end of the first season we'll we'll sort of but it's true we did have expectations for harvey Corman for harvey Corman, for the show he's, he's, a, he's a big talent comedically so yes. you would expect him to be really good um so thank you uh uh tony for sending that email in um, our guest star this week is Bruce Forsyth. Uh, now, well, he's gone, but Sir Bruce Forsyth. born to you. Yes. Yeah. Born Bruce Joseph Forsyth Johnson, February 22nd, 1928, in Edmonton, Middlesex, England. He was the son of Florence Ada Nay Pocknell Forsyth and John Thomas Forsyth Johnson, who owned a car repair business in his town. His mother and father were members of the Salvation Army and played in their band. So his mother was, I think his father played some sort of brass instrument and his mother was a singer. So there was some musical talent there, which will come into play in this episode. His great-grandfather was a landscape architect of some renown. And his great-great-great-great, that's four greats, grandfather, William Forsyth, was the founder of the Royal Horticulture Society and the namesake of the Forsythia uh, which many people listening probably have forsythia bushes in their front yards. Uh, that that is one of the most amazing fun facts I yeah. think we could ever hear. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I like that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he has uh, 
his he has a green. We assume we can only assume, though, though we don't know, or uh, that he had a green thumb because it seemed to um, to run in the family. Um, inspired by Fred Astaire, he began performing at the age of fourteen with a song and dance, an accordion act titled "Boy Bruce the Mighty Adam." Our five-word essay is from last week. Mine was Bruce Forsyth, come on down, which we'll get to in a minute. And yours was even my mother says who? So Doug, now I know this is someone who's usually you're. I mean, one of the reasons I like doing this is that you're a, a you have a unbelievable knowledge of of sort of pop culture figures, post-war pop culture figures. Oh. Um, but there's but, a big but coming here, isn't there? Well, the, yeah. this is someone who you weren't that familiar with. So no, but no. you've done some research. So take it away. Tell us about his career, why he would have been on the Muppet Show, why he was a big name in England, especially in England. Well, that's what we have. That's really the what we have to stress here. This is a complete English celebrity. Right. Um, basically, if you do the reading on him. From the 60s on, he was on television almost all the time, yeah. as he, and as you pointed out, as the host right. of, of the show. Variety shows, sketch shows, things like that. And basically, he, it seemed like he was on for decades on, on British television, um, into the, well into the 2000s. As a matter yeah. of fact, I think... There's some Guinness Book of World Records. He's sort of like the Regis Philbin of the UK. He, he manned more TV hours than anyone else in history right. over there. Yeah. So um, the weird thing is, if you, if, if you look at the shows, they never see, he never really had a smash. With all the variety shows, nighttime shows, he did a lot of game shows. Mm-hmm. He... He has a lot of credits, you know, a year here, two years here, six months. It just, he, he never seemed to be a smash hit, but he was always working. Right. So he, um, he was, it he, he was like, he was a, a good everyman kind of a TV guy, I guess. When in doubt, go to Bruce. He was yeah. what, what the Brits would describe as a presenter. Yeah. So like, a, I, I don't know, but not, you mentioned Regis Philbin. Um, he, he, Bruce Forsyth, and we'll see it in this episode, he had a variety of talents. He's I mean, I never comedian. saw. He's far more a comedian. A comedian, than, but. Than a Regis Philbin. He yes. plays piano, he sings. He's a song and dance man. Song yeah, and he, dance guy. I mean, Regis Philbin, as far as I know. No, 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 no. I just like used that. him because I think Regis Philbin. Was on TV a lot. Yeah. You know, in the terms of total hours. No, Bruce Forsyth was much more, he was a show business guy. Right. He, 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 he could do a little of everything. His first big um, break was hosting something called Sunday Night at the London Palladium. Once which was again, a big show there. A yes. variety show. This comes in, I basically every single host, a guest star of, that we've talked about so far, either... Well, most of them were on variety shows. That's kind of how they came to prominence. He was hosting one called uh, Sunday Night at the Palladium. Although and the big name in that show was a guy named Val Parnell. E- even there, he wasn't quite... I think it was almost like a... He was almost... I don't know if he was more like maybe an Ed McMahon to Val Parnell's Carson. I mean, But Val Parnell was the bigger name Oh, they were on at the same series. time? 
Yes. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he transitioned and became, I mean, a game show host. Uh, that was one of the things he did a lot of. A uh, lot you, of. You can tell stories about this. A yes, little he bit did of a lot of them in Britain. Yeah, he did. And, uh, his most famous was one called The Generation Game. Uh, he also did Play Your Cards Right, which was like a British version of Card Sharks, which is one that was on here in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And he hosted for a while the British version of The Price is Right, which is where my five-word essay comes from. Uh, but you remember him actually hosting one His in America. His only American television show. So tell us about that. Show. Um, okay, I have to preface this. This was around uh, 1984 I, when I got married. Mm-hmm. And my wife had a first cousin, uh, an aspiring actor in L.A., cousin Billy. Mm-hmm. And so Billy was at the wedding, and all the, he came to New York several times and stayed with us for lengthy stays. So Billy was always around. Mm-hmm. Nice guy, just a real enthusiastic kind of a guy. Everything was great. Billy was just a real, you know, up guy, which could be very annoying. <laughs> But, um, and during one of his visits, he came back in great detail to tell us that he had just shot a pilot episode of a new game show called um, Bruce Forsyth's uh, Hot Streak. I, by the way, I should have given you here um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pers- the, the, the personal was anecdote that, oh, 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 I thought it was just mentioning Cousin Billy. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, so he, he goes on to describe in great detail, you, you know, his appearance. And it sounded completely bizarre. And I think the weird thing was, even though the pilot was shot in 84, it wasn't shown on daytime ABC until like January of 86. So that's, I think, when I actually saw it. And Billy was on for like two or three days. Mm. And... It was... That's weird. Just, Two years. Yeah, well, it was, I guess... It, t- weirdly enough, it was developed by Gene Rayburn, who was supposed to do the show, and he backed out of it. So, mm-hmm. so maybe they just... Bruce Forsyth was not a name in American television. Maybe they couldn't sell it. So, right. um, first of all, it was a very weird game show. It was sort of a cross between Password, $20,000 Pyramid... And sort of match game. It was like a word association kind of a game. And it was gender driven. A team of women against a team of men. So Billy and his guys, they were the first team. And they had to give, give themselves a, a team nickname. So okay. I, I remember Billy seemed to be the team captain and proudly said, we're the Brusketeers. Okay. Which absolutely delighted this bizarre British comic, Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> he ate that up with a spoon. Right. Um, and now I told you, Billy was normally an enthusiastic guy, but apparently the producers told them, you, you really got to ramp it up, guys, over the top. Yeah. You know, just be so over the top enthusiastic and happy to be here. It, it was fascinating how bizarre yeah. these two teams were. But one thing that really struck me, and, and it stuck with me all these years, when Bruce Forsyth came out, he had a catchphrase, apparently, that he used in Britain all those years on TV, and it just stuck with me. 
he said to the audience, so nice to see you, to see you nice. Yeah. yeah and I was like, it's what? Weird. It's yeah. the most awkward phrase. I mean, I know what it means, but why would you say it like that? And, it, and he said it at the beginning of the show. He said it at the end of the show. And I think I watched for three days, and it just drove me crazy. It, you know, I, I was complaining to, to my wife, and they're like, what does that mean? Why is he saying it like that? It, it, anyway, so I think Billy ended up winning some money, but uh, I don't think Bruce Forsyth did. Apparently, his only American TV appearance, uh, it, was, it was only a 13-week run. Yeah. And, and it was canceled, and Bruce was never seen really on American television after that. Yeah, and um, he... That was his, uh, from what I can tell, this so nice to see you, to see you nice. Is that, did I say it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah, yeah that, that was his catchphrase yes. in, in England. So it's very a, well, a very well-known English, and so, people still... So is will, this a difference between us and the Brits? They, they like of, that, and one we, of, we find that bizarre? I don't of, know. One of many. One of yeah. many, yes. Um, I, I, because I didn't know much about him, I... What I usually do when I have questions about British culture is I go to my British friends, uh, most of whom at this point are associated with, and we've discussed this in other shows the last season when we did our, we're doing the different, uh, the QPR NYC. QPR friends, sure, yeah. Right, we're on a group chat, a Facebook chat, and so I asked them about him and confirmed that he, in fact, was very, very famous. And... um, ended up kind of going the, the conversation ended up going slightly off the rails in the sense that um it, it's popular in england it's not something we do here so much but um because i think because soccer uh, we'll call it soccer because we're yes. two americans talking about it um is so hegemonic there you, i mean okay cricket and rugby are important sports but but soccer really is the king in in england in the united kingdom um you will frequently hear people as they're about to really demonstrate this week. Yes, right. With what's big, going big on game. over there, yes, big yes. game. Um, they will frequently sort of embed discussions of popular culture in in a in a soccer framework by picking an an eleven. So there's eleven players on a on one so- a soccer team at, out on the field at mm-hmm. a time, and when they want to talk about you especially see this on social media when you want to talk about some other aspect of popular culture uh be it music uh, film uh in this case television uh, or maybe even politics you will pick an 11 of something which which basically means you're you're making a uh, a soccer team out of whatever the thing is that you're discussing so 11 greatest your, your 11 the, 11 greatest rock acts right whatever. the, the punk punk yeah. rock 11 or something and right you would pick yes. got you 11 uh punk rockers that and you would put them in different positions and you would try to come up with some rationale for why you were doing it, it would be silly always right but maybe mm-hmm. one of them is a big fan of soccer or played a little bit as a you know you whatever you might know about them or they were very tall or very short or or uh, violent and you know they had a history of violence or something so you might put them in a certain position and so i asked them to put together a a british game show host 11 uh and this is now tell me if any of these names mean anything to you i think uh-uh. 
I think two, maybe one or two of them meant something to me. In goal um, is is one of the names that I'd heard, which is Ronnie Corbett. Yes, um, him I know. Which I think he was maybe even better known for other like acting than he was for being a game show. Yeah, I, I I know I've seen him in right in, right in I think a couple of movies and yeah. yes. So they're set up by the way in a, in a four two three one formation. So they're four at the back are. Um, Ben Shepard, uh, the host of The Krypton Factor, Tipping Point, and Ninja Warrior UK. How did I ever miss that? The left wow. back uh, is Anne Robinson, host of The Weakest Link. I remember her because I think when that show is big here, she may have even hosted it here or been involved somehow here. Okay. Uh, the center backs are uh, the um, tr- Trump-supporting Dale Winton, of supermarket sweep and in it to win it. Uh, they the had supermarket sweep in Britain. Yeah, wow. They did. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, the other center back is a gentleman named Michael Barrymore, who I had not heard of. That he, name I somehow know. Don't he, ask me why. He, well, you might, it might be because for infamous reasons, he, he hosted a show called um, strike it lucky. And uh, I won't go into his history except to say that if he invites you to a pool party, just turn away, turn and walk the other way. Okay. You won't strike it very lucky, in no, other words, won't. at the pool. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, the midfield, sort of back of the midfield, William G. Stewart, host of 15 to 1. Gordon Burns, also host of the Krypton Factor. A word in your ear and relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Then up front, you have a right winger, Bradley Walsh, host of The nope. Chase. Mm-hmm. Attacking midfielder, Paul Daniels, uh, host of Every Second Counts and Wipeout. Left wing, Bob Monkhouse host of The Golden Shot, Celebrity Squares, which I guess is like Hollywood Squares, and Family Fortunes. And the striker is Noel Edmonds, host of Telly Addicts and Deal or No Deal, which we have here. I think uh, the germphobe hosted that. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who used to put the rubber glove on his head. I forget. Um, anyway, oh, uh, Howie yeah. Mandel. Howie Mandel. Yeah. yeah. So that's their British game show host eleven. Now, I, so in good faith. So please, all you folks listening in Sussex, please, yeah, please, you know, please weigh in on this. Weigh for in us. on it. Yeah. yeah. So in good faith, I came up with a, a American game show host eleven with a little help from the American members of QPR NYC. Uh, we're set up in a three-five-two formation, so three at the back, uh, playing wing backs. The goalkeeper is Steve Harvey, who's been the host of. Uh, I don't really think of him as a game show host, but he's been the host of uh, Family Feud forever now. Yeah, I think so, yes. I put him there because he's pretty big. He's like 6'1". He also is a very weird guy, I think. I mean, there was a story a couple of years ago about how he's one of those, he sent like a memo to his crew to like never address him or like look him in the eye. He's one of those kind of people. Um, the back three of, of six foot two inch Chuck Woolery, uh, Bob mm. Barker, 6'1". Chuck, and, Chuck has a very big head. I think he'd be very good on headers. Right. Wouldn't you and, think? Yeah. And Wayne Brady on the right side of the of the back mm. three. Uh, then a midfield of um, Pat Sajak as sort of a, a deep-lying uh, defensive midfielder. Uh, Dick Clark and Alex Trebek as a kind of a playmaker, pulling the strings in midfield. Uh, right wing back. That's a, that's a Hall of Fame yeah. Midfield, uh, right. that's pretty good. Right, right wing back Wink Martindale, left Ooh. wing back Bob Eubanks, oh, and then seri- that midfield is great. Yeah, wow. and then up top we have uh, um, Ben Bailey, the host of Cash Cab. If anybody's ever seen that, he's six foot six, a big target man up front. Okay. 
and come playing off him coming in behind uh, Groucho Marx, the host of uh, You'll Never Get Rich and You Bet Your Life, which is not really a game show. Is that a game show? But he was the host of uh, Yeah, no, it was a yeah, very famous game show. And so basically, Groucho is sort of the, uh, the Pushkosh or Pele of, of this Yeah, it's, it's we're kind of doing like a big guy, little guy thing there. You know, you got mm. Bailey, the big guy, Groucho's kind of like a, a fox in the box, a poacher. You know, he's taking, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, Bailey's holding up the ball and, and uh, dropping and then getting it to, to Groucho to score goals. So that's my... American game show host 11. Uh, let's talk about the show itself. Um, as we mentioned, he's a pretty, uh, I don't know how talent, I mean, you can talk to me, tell me how talented you think he is, but he certainly Yo, has right. a range yeah. of, of abilities. Um, he did a yeah, bunch of songs. He did a stand up, stand up song and dance. Yeah. He does a little of everything. Yeah. Yeah. He did. I don't think he's particularly good at any of them, but he does it. You know, okay. he shows up, All right. so, you know. He did two songs. Well, he did really three songs. He, I mean, he did two that were only songs. He did um, All I Need is the Girl is the Girl from Gypsy. <clears throat> that was his first number, which he did with this kind of big bird puppet. And then he did at the end. Yeah, they, do a nice, a, they do a nice, end up uh, doing a nice soft shoe together. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And then at the end, he did a number with Piggy singing Let There Be Love, where he plays piano quite love beautifully. Uh, what did yes, you think of did. his... And he also does Side by Side, as we heard before, with... Uh, with Fozzie. With Fozzie. Uh, what did you think of his that part of his act, the musical part? Well, I thought he was very charming. He was... Uh, I think you pointed out we were t- that he was very good with the Muppets. Hmm. Um, th- he, I, he did sort of wink a lot at the audience you know he to, to make it a point of like sort of you know hey folks you you know i'm working with puppets here and you, you know he was doing uh, which to me is always like a little insecure as, yeah. a, as a performer when you like when we talked about rita moreno or even lena horn i i really respect more a fuller commitment to the sketch, to the he character. He was very, the... like, actually physical. He would, uh, to my mind, he he actually touched the Muppets much more than anybody else that's hosted the show. He, he would physically yeah, he grab was all, them. Yeah, he was all over Fozzie when yeah. they were, when he was helping Fozzie with his stand-up act and how to handle that's Statler right. and Waldorf's heckling. Yes. Yeah, he was yeah. very close quarters with mm-hmm. Fozzie. That's yeah. true. Um, I mean, the thing about Bruce Forsyth, just watching him in this is that it just brought me uh, into a fuller picture of the difference between British comedy and American comedy and what we respond to and what they respond to over there. You know, there's that whole English music hall tradition which tends to be kind of smutty, leering, Right. You know, always women with big breasts on stage. So that's it. <laughs> Benny, Benny Hill. Benny, Benny yeah. Hill. And a lot of British comics kind of work like that. And growing up, whenever you saw a British comic, they tended to be like that. But then it started to change in this country. Um, now, I'll give you a, a, before I get into how it changed, uh, there was a huge act comedy team, maybe the greatest comedy team in, in English history, Morecambe and Wise, mm-hmm. Eric Morecambe and Ernie Wise. They were like the comedy team 
in the history of, of Britain. Right. And they were huge on TV. They had their own show on the BBC. They got big guest stars. And they were on, actually, they were on Ed Sullivan a lot, like 12 times in the 60s. Hmm. So it did cross over to here. And although they were very British in their orientation, their humor worked to our ears much better than most British comics. Um, they famously, you can look at this up on YouTube, right before the Beatles uh, came to this country in late 63, before they got on the plane to go on Sullivan, they did a Morecambe and Wise show uh, where uh, they famously sing uh, on Moonlight Bay with Morecambe and Wise and Morcom keeps screwing up Ringo's name, keeps calling him Bongo, <laughs> which, uh, and the audience loved it. So they, they were just, and it's very charming, it's very funny. Um, as a matter of fact, um, we, uh, a family trip we took to, uh, we took to England in Christmas of 72, um, we got there, we flew on, on Christmas Eve, so basically we get there on Christmas Day, and to discover that the country in 1972 was completely closed. Mm -hmm. Nothing was open. Yeah. You know, so I think we spent most of Christmas Day, we walked around on empty streets on Oxford Street, but we went back to the hotel and I saw a great English football game involving Liverpool, but luckily, I guess, Morecambe and Wise, their biggest show every year was their annual Christmas show. And we saw it that night, and I remember it was great. They were hysterically funny, and just I sort of saw that you know that was sort of their height, and um, so if if Morecambe and Wise in that great English tradition work, Bruce Forsyth is not in their league. He's not that their doesn't have their talent, and I think what started to change in America. With when Brits started coming over here, it started getting a little more highbrow. There was a famous uh, comedy troupe uh, beyond the fringe in the early 60s that came to Broadway, mm -hmm. and very famous guys. Jonathan Miller, great writer, Alan Bennett became a great playwright, and Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. And it was a much, they were sort of that Oxbridge, that Cambridge, Ox, Oxford. Right higher brow sense of humor and it was this big smash on Broadway later Cook and Moore teamed up they had a smash hit uh, called Good Evening on Broadway in the early 70s and it was great material I mean uh, we did a few of their sketches when I went to Penn in this uh, year-end show that we used to do mm -hmm. um, and so those guys kind of set the stage, and then, of course, Monty Python hit over here, and all of a sudden, wow, these guys are unbelievable how funny they are. It was a very different vibe than the Bruce Forsyths of, and Benny Hill and guys like that that you would sometimes see from Britain. Yeah. You should have, uh, you should have gone to a... Now, of course, in England... The big, th what one of the big things that happens the day after Christmas is called yeah. Boxing Day. <laughs> yes, as I discovered. Yeah, that's discovered. A, that's a big. The country um, was even more closed then than right. Christmas Day. That's a big um, football soccer day 
all yeah. usually there's a I think, full I, slate of soccer. I think we soccer. watched. I think we watched soccer in the hotel you could then have, too. You could have gone to a game. You could have QPR oh. were playing. They beat Orient three one. Late in Orient three one. London derby. That would have been great. You should have. Uh, I think that would have been a big persuasion for my father somehow. It, it was a great trip. We did a lot of fascinating stuff. I think that might have been a bit of a of a tough sell to dad. You know, okay. first of he was. I remember he was actually kind of pissed. He had done a lot of good research, but Christmas Day and Boxing Day did not come up as the, you know the country is closed. <laughs> we we didn't know that. God, so. I, I can only imagine like researching travel back then. I, well, that's just it. Yeah, and he had he had made arrangements because right? you bought dad a book. Was stationed. You... Yeah, oh yeah. Well, not only that, dad. The, well, the highlight, the emotional highlight. Dad was stationed about 100 miles outside of London in the war in this little town called Broadway, which is near Evesham. And we, we hired a driver. And, you know, this is like thatched cottage mm-hmm. England, you know, exactly what you want it to look like. And he, he remember we get to the town and he got very emotional and he remembered he was billeted in a little place above a bicycle shop. And there's the bicycle shop. We knock on the door, and it was the the family, the same family, almost 30 years later. And they'd wow. sort of remembered him because it was him and two other soldiers. So it was just this amazing trip in that sense. But Boxing Day did not come up in his uh, research. Well, the rest. So the rest of the show, um, I don't know. He did he did a um, a talk spot with. Uh, Kermit, which was a lot of jokes, it was like a gag about exchanging animals. Was, I'll trade you this many animals for that. Yeah, I, I'll I, trade you two chickens for a duck. Right. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was very barnyard. Uh, yeah. Probably the most endearing thing he did was he sort of took Fozzie under his arm. The yeah. running gag in the show, or the running theme through the show, and there's always one, is that Fozzie thinks he's finally ready to really stick it to Statler and Waldorf when they when they heckle him. He's ready to take on hecklers. Right. Yes. And, uh, of course, he's charmingly he's not. not ready. Yeah. Um, but Forsyth helps him, sort of gives him confidence, and and uh, Fozzie and lands a, sudden, a bunch of insults. It sort of works. Yeah, yeah. it works. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of that, they sing the very famous uh, duet side by side. Yes. So I thought that was... That was nice. that was very uh, that, yeah. that was yes uh, that was a, that was a, a lovely few minutes yeah it was it charming. Worked. Other than that, um, you had the ballroom uh, skit, which is in every single episode, and you pointed out that you noticed something about the ballroom skit. Um, remember, this first season that we're watching here is 1976, and all of a sudden it struck me that during the ballroom sequence, remember it's all like quick hitting one liners generally. It was all American bicentennial themed. Right. They were making, you know, like Washington, Jefferson, Adams jokes. Right. And um, like, like one of the jokes was uh, the woman says to, you know, do you know what, ha- what, what happened in 1776? And he's like, well, I don't know, but I know there's a great party in 1342. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, then there's a, ben- and then, there's like a, a Benjamin Franklin joke, and I think, and someone says to Miss Piggy, well, what do you think about Franklin? And she goes, well, 
I've never frankled. <laughs> so, yeah. but it was all bicentennial. It was yeah. their well, nod the, the, to, to uh, their loss. The show is produced on the 27th and 28th of July. And August, or between the 27th of July and August 5th, well, 1976. That's the height of the bicentennial that right. month, obviously. So, and it yeah. premiered in New York on December 6th, 1976. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. We had a veterinarian's hospital one, which we'll talk about in a second, yeah. which is when uh, Rolf is the surgeon, you know, at the hospital. They're, 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 they're soap opera parody. A yeah. very, uh, the UK spot was the wow, hillbilly yeah. band which we've seen before singing a funny but weird song about being your own grandpa what did you think about that i'm my own grandpa yeah it, it basically the whole song is like um i i dated my second cousin we had a kid who became my uncle's who turned into my it's like just throwing every possible very you know cousins weird. once removed and yeah i'm my own grandpa essentially it's <laughs> right. very weird very weird um uh nice musically though i thought but a very strange set of lyrics for us the only other thing to mention is there was the, the first number is something called the snurfs yes which is kind of a you can see them and i don't remember if they did this as much in later episodes we'll find out but they 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 seem to be sort of st- stretching their legs in terms of like doing different kinds of puppetry. I mean, it's very there's different kinds, right? I don't know much about it, but it's very different to have your hand inside of Kermit versus one of these numbers where it's like you know there's guys in black lycra body suits, you know, behind and they're like manipulating. They're sort of on stage manipulating and that's what the snurfs was it was this this yeah. dark background and there were people back there which you, you couldn't see because if they were dressed in black and um so and they were all like weird one-legged purple yeah, creatures and yeah. you, we've seen a bunch of numbers i mean the, the bird that forsyth sings with is a little bit like that uh, i think it's admirable that they seem to really be trying to kind of showcase the art of puppetry you yeah, know which is not yeah. just shoving your hand up a the sort of classic puppet people think of, and it's not buy it's, a store not, or something. It's not marionettes. It's yeah. Right. It's, a, it's a different uh, school right. going on here. Yeah. Uh, la- laugh out loud moment for you. Um, a couple, but I think I'll go back to the veterinarian hospital. Uh, Doctor Bob, played by Rolf, and Miss Piggy's his nurse. They're they're treating a duck, mm-hmm. and who just. Quack, 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 quack. And, and, and they went there. They did what I thought they would do. And when, when Dr. Bob says, what kind of a doctor do you think I am? Quack. <laughs> <laughs> and he does a take, a double take. And, you know, I don't know. It worked for me. Yeah. Mine is from the very first, uh, where they always, at the very beginning, introduce Fozzie to do a little bit of stand-up. And his joke is... Uh, if a Polish person is a Pole, is someone from Holland a hole? <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty funny. It's very, that is funny. Come on, yeah. give Fozzie. A, and he did it very well. He did. He actually, he's, he's, he, his delivery was good. He feels like he's got some momentum going here and he's, he's getting better. Yeah. Uh, next week's uh, guest star is Sandy Duncan um, of, I don't know, actor, singer, 
Dancer, Amelia. Dancer. She, was a, she was a big name back in the day. She was. Yes. Uh, why don't you give us your uh, five-word essay on uh, Sandy Duncan? Being perky is a crime. Okay. Mine is, and I'm going to do my best godfather voice here. Never cross the Hogan family. <laughs> All right. So next week, Sandy Duncan, I'll talk to you then. All right.